Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. This is Season 2, Episode 1. I have returned with two long-suffering co-hosts who will introduce themselves on this, our inaugural episode of Season 2. Second inaugural episode. Super Pulp's back, all right! Um, sorry, this is Sam Biko. Uh... I am the operations manager of this little studio space. I'm just usually in the background. Sometimes I jump in. I make books and stuff. But this isn't my this isn't my mansion. It's my not haunted your mansion. mansion. Justin, a song intro, <coughs> if you please. Um no. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's my birthday, so I don't have to. <laughs> oh, that's true. Ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, you don't know this, but it is Justin's birthday so today. So all today I get to pull it's my birthday cards. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Well, Sam baked you a cake. There's a wonderful chocolate cake. We'll maybe post about it on our Instagram. Uh, my son made my son's made you birthday cards with yep. robots and Gundams in them. Um, <laughs> I got you some Ashley Wood art. Dan is is producing our podcast. Yep. For my uh, birthday. For your, for your birthday. birthday. This wasn't going to happen before. But. No, no, but because it's because birthday. my birthday. Yeah. Um, so, actually, this is great because a birthday is a time of reflection, mm-hmm. don't you think? Where you look back on the year that has passed and ask yourself, are you wiser now or are you m- more of a miser now? <laughs> right? One of those two things. So, which is it? Tell me about your year up till now. I feel like I'm wiser. Yeah? I'm trying to think. It's been, been a blur. Have there been any sharp edges or hot stoves that have taught you things about life you didn't know? Nothing, nothing big, nothing massive. Nothing too big? No. No? I feel like I'm getting, there's a lot of things that used to be, a lot of mountains are becoming hills, oh, you know? Oh, no. Like big, I'm like big projects and big endeavors that used to be like, they seem like unsurmountable are now like getting easier. It's... So the fire has gone out? Is that what no, you're saying? No, no, I think Your I'm just... Your life is just a smoldering ember where once <laughs> it was a raging fire? You had, a good, you had a good had run. You had a good run, but it's, it's all over now. Over now. <laughs> but over yeah, now. just getting getting a little more well-rounded and like having my stuff figured out. And so, yeah, it takes a lot of a lot of stress off. Like we just had last weekend, was it last? Yes. Last weekend was yep. the Toronto Fan Expo, which is one of the biggest like endeavors of our year just with... Um, we bring helpers. We ship stuff there. We have stuff printed there. We uh, just logistics are like more complicated than almost anything else we do. It's, it's a show you put in a lot of time into yeah. as well. So Huge you have a amount, lot of yeah. People and waiting for your stuff. It seemed about like seventy-five percent less stressed than last year, and I did more for it this year. So what you're saying is, gasp, being really prepared for stuff has turned it into just like a regular job. That you just know what to expect when you show up for work. Something like that. Now, is this, isn't this your 10th year of going to conventions? Like, didn't you start doing it really hard in 2008? No. No? Uh, say 2014 was when okay. I was kind of doing this full time. 2008 to 12, I was doing two or three a year. Right. Yeah. But you were just kind of just putting your little art toe in You were interning in, the sea. in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but now we have canvases and 
big frames and our displays take up. Yeah, there's multiple suitcases and shipping involved. And two sites at one con. And we get to watch Justin racing back and forth between (laughs) them as he restocks one booth with the other. When you bring that up, I think I reflect now on last year when you did that. I would see you running back and forth. You're right that your stress level is very different because you were kind of like tripping the light fantastic, happily skirting between two booths this time, whereas last time it was like, oh my God, I don't know if I've planned this properly. Yeah, so um, really, really big conventions that have attendances around 100,000 or even more. Um, something that we, we started to notice was, um, you know, we'd been there for years and we get lots of people coming up saying like, how, like, have you been here before? Like, I've never seen your stuff. And it's just because these places are so massive, you, not everybody's going to see you. You can't, you can't like catch everybody. Um, yeah, you're not the castle in the fish tank. There's too sure. many fish, yeah. your net's only so big. Yeah. So the idea was um, a show that I was well established at, that I knew what I could do, um, just numbers wise and, and everything, trying to have two locations running at the same time um, on the floor. So I have my main booth in Artist Alley where I'm, I'm there selling my prints. And then I had another booth kind of out in the vendors that had mainly large canvases and some prints as well, but it was kind of a, it was a different site. Yeah, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the show floor, it's usually divided quite um, specifically into exhibitors and into Artist Alley. And the exhibitors can be people who are selling things that they didn't make, that they're not connected to. They got a container ship from somewhere and they're selling those Funkos by the truckload. Um, so it's a different clientele that searches that area. So you get a very different type of foot traffic in exhibitors than you do in Artist Alley. Artist Alley folks, people who are regulars to Artist Alley usually are looking for something they've never heard of. You know, they want to be surprised by something new and exciting. Mm-hmm. Whereas exhibitors, they're hunting for a specific item. It, it worked out, it's worked out quite well. I've tried it about three times now having two booths. And uh, I think like the, the big key thing is it has to be one of those massive conventions. Right. It does not make sense to do that at one of the smaller shows because everybody usually gets a chance to see everything. Right, and but we're, it, we're about to hit the road for two of those, you know, quote-unquote smaller shows. They're great shows <laughs> yeah. uh, in their own cities. We're going to Saskatoon and then to Edmonton. But um, attendance-wise, it's about a third of what, maybe even a fourth of yeah. what the Fan Expo is in Toronto. So mm-hmm. it's big for their cities, but they're... Uh, it's not worthwhile to double down on two booths. Mm-hmm. There. And we were noticing, too, like Fan Expo like in the past has has hit numbers like 120,000 but this year I think they were probably like what 70 80 maybe yeah it it did feel a little lower so but um we also talked to people who do this a lot and conventions have peaks and valleys and and yeah yeah so it might have been a slower year for everybody this year but stick around another year or two it'll be back up there again it was interesting talking to vendors who've been doing it for 25 years like literally that's just been their whole you know adult lives going to and vending at locations like that talking about how in five-year cycles it goes way up to the top and then drops way down to the bottom but if you're well situated and you know what you're doing you just ride those waves weather the storm weather the storm now do you feel that your comfort at this past fan expo um was attributed to the fact um, about something that we, you guys were talking about right before your break, um, as you were headed to San Diego Comic-Con, which was the first time you had ever done that show, that scale. It was huge. 
is probably the is it would that be the biggest compared to New York or San Diego and New York are always neck and neck. Mm-hmm. So San Diego, I think, currently holds the record, but New York's very close behind. Like their their numbers are very similar. Right. But for you, was that like kind of the pinnacle show that you had always wanted to get into and it was really big and you had to get ready last minute and kind of scramble and then do it yeah so i guess that happened after the podcast ended that's right um i've been on a wait list for san diego comic-con for six five or six years i apply like every every time the show ends the applications go online 24 hours after and i would apply like within those 24 hours and still not get in i'd just be on a wait list um this year three and a half weeks before the show I got an email saying, we've got a table for you, but you got to let us know like right away. And so, yeah, I, I said yes, and I planned everything and, and did San Diego with less than a month to, to get it all planned. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a crazy show. Um, I think for, for me, like for a creator and an artist, I like New York more. San Diego is so much more of a like a cultural event than a lot of the other shows we go to because the entire city of San Diego kind of gets wrapped up in it and for like blocks and blocks outside of the convention center the convention is still happening like right. there's parades and streets are shut down and entire buildings are rented out by DreamWorks and Disney and Warner Bros like they all have their parties going on so like thousands of people attend the convention but don't actually go into the convention hall they just do all the things outside of it. Right. Whereas New York, as soon as you leave that convention center, there's nothing. That's it. Yeah, it's it's New, New York. York. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm looking forward to New York this year, though. We'll be, uh, the first time I was ever in New York was when we went to New York Comic Con. And so you had been a few times. But for me, the, uh, the postcard, the movie version of New York that you think, oh, I can't possibly be this cliched that's just how new york is mm-hmm. it's absolutely true and uh so i'm looking forward to going back there with that foreknowledge <clears throat> gonna try and be 10 percent more of a new yorker this time right not look up at every tall building but just look at my feet like the world is grinding me down wow right? that's what new yorkers do guys. that's what i know and welcome back to gregory's <laughs> sunshiny repartee on the state of the world and the state of his own mind if you fail to understand and the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! The reason we had the break was because uh, our wonderful producer is also an excellent educator, and so he had to take the summer off to be with his family, which I guess is allowed. So I did the same thing. I spent a lot of time with the family working on... I would work two shifts. I'd work day shift here at the studio. Then I would go home and do family time, and then I'd work a night shift to get uh, the aforementioned David Miller graph. Yes, I was just going to leap in and say we have we owe Mr. Kamichek a congratulations for finishing the full Ooh. length graphic novel Baby Metal Apocrypha. Yeah, it'll be a. I think in final count is somewhere like 140 pages of the book. Um, if we take out the like chapter breaks and like some intro pages, there's probably 100. And, 130,000, 130 pages. 130,000. It felt like 130,000 hours. <laughs> so I was going to say, working on that book. It is available. Uh, Apocrypha, The Legend of Baby Metal, should be available at the end of October um, as far as the uh, book distributors have let us know. I will not have copies until after that date. I'll have advanced copies in my hand before that, but yeah, but there's a, you know, we're, 
the street date is it's very strict yeah very strict yes so while yes i will have and it's good because i um sold a number of pre-drawn in books um like did uh, advance orders for people on the website i sold 50 copies of the book with some special art that i'll put in each one so getting the books early mean i can get started on those drawings early which means people won't have to wait as long to get them at least that is my hope mm -hmm. Now, there are some other special things attached with Baby Metal um, in the printing. Are you able to talk about some of those? Ooh. Maybe let's them, not. Yes. No, I can't. <laughs> because okay. now I'm scared. There are some things I am allowed to say for sure, and that there are uh, four variant covers beyond the main cover. Those mm -hmm. have all been announced, and you can s they're all available on the Baby Metal Twitter and the Baby Metal Graphic Novel Twitter. And Gregory's Twitter. Yeah, there too. Um, so yes, I did f uh, four interconnected covers outside of the regular cover, and that was a crazy adventure. I spent about a month working on various covers until we all, the whole creative team, found a set that we all agreed worked well together and worked well thematically, and we were all happy with the aesthetic of it. Um, I've never worked that hard on a cover for anything in my career to date so and you well know it because yeah. i was here in the studio going okay those ones aren't going to work next so but and every day saying that ice cream it's getting closer I can yeah taste it. so we have this amazing uh little cake shop bakery and ice cream shop just uh about 100 meters from the studio cakeology cakeology and so i told myself as soon as everything is signed off on the project i'm going to treat myself to some quiet ice cream, just some super cute ice cream. That would be great. Um, and I kept having to push that ice cream date back, but uh, it made for a better book, so it's no problem. No problem there. I'm excited too, because I get to go be on my first New York Comic Con panel ever. Um, Tell us what it's called. Well, it is apparently called Apocrypha, The Legend of Baby Metal, and it's October 4th at 5.15 p.m. to 6.15 p.m., um, at the Anime Fest New York Comic Con main stage. Lovely. It's almost as if you had that information ready to go. Right to ask at you my that fingertips. Yes. Because it's available on the New York Comic Con website. We are you? very organized here. Very. That's Super Pulp Science. <laughs> We're the pinnacle of professionalism. Super Pulp Science. Yes, and actually the fun thing about this um, podcast that we saw firsthand kind of at uh, Fan Expo Canada is you got some amazing little button, little enamel pins made. I did. They are very wonderful and lovely. And people were coming up to you and they weren't asking you what it was. They were saying, I love that podcast. I know. It was really weird to have. So dear listeners, we appreciate you as much as it turns out you were appreciating us. Um, and we also wanted to make, I wanted to make a tangible thank you gift for the guests of our podcast so i had some pins made um so that we can represent or at the very least that you have a sharp object to open your print packages with when you're right stuck at a show so we've looked into the past dear listeners but let's look forward we all have a bunch of new stuff on the go sam you have a sequel to write the final sequel and uh. <laughs> my, and, uh. Yesterday, on Monday, my publisher finally remembered that the book hasn't been submitted yet. I know the actual deadline that they gave me, but then they asked me, when were you supposed to hand that in again? That's so amazing. 
mid-October it is now. So it's fine. I'm 70,000 words in. Just have to write it. But I've been a little busy. Hold on. Back up. You're 70,000 words in. Mm-hmm. How long is the book going to be? It'll probably be similar to the, the previous books, 130 plus. 130. So you're about halfway there. Yep. Yeah. I'm over halfway there. Uh, and over. psychologically, that's a very important <laughs> distinction to make if you're ever going to get something done. Uh, yes. So I, I've plotted it. I just have to sit down and get my ass in gear. So Justin and I are both starting on new books, but we're starting fresh, like with sort of some new ideas and some new stuff. Very different than sustaining, like the idea that you've already written what do you say 280,000 words of this story and you're going to another 140,000 in how do you sustain your interest in the work good question you it's much like anything else you have to always consider that it is a discipline no matter how much you may be tired of something you also have to say well when it's done then i can start on other things like all of the novels that i've started when i should have been finishing this one so hold on are you saying that you're tired of this book i think i'm i'm just kind of i'm happy that it's three and that i wasn't committing to like five Mm -hmm. um certainly i could probably write more in the universe but there are other things that i'd like to do um so i'm not like i hate this book it's more like i'm ready to move on yes um after it so i've already started pitching i have about four books um, that I'm pitching my publisher now to see kind of what they would like to see the next of. It's like one is a one is a five-part series. Um, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit less doom and gloom, which is what my current series is. It's a little bit on the happier side. Um, some standalone commercial fiction. So I'm just, I am constantly looking forward. And as an artist, you usually have to be. Um, I don't know that Justin is always kind of, he's in the middle of a piece and then he's thinking about eight other pieces that he's, he's jumping in on. That's how you find out what those other pieces or those other books are going to be. You exactly. work on one project and when you're starting, when your brain kind of starts to get a little bored or done with that project, it tells you what's next. It goes looking for a new yeah, idea. Yeah, as on soon as own. you have free time yeah. like, and nothing on your plate, you can't think of anything, but as soon as you're supposed to be working on this one thing, oh, of course, you use like, oh, that's when you have all the ideas for all the other things. So, there's See, been points in my career where, rather than like, I could have this month off, or if I take on like a client project, I know that's going to like, kickstart like right. all this other production. See, and uh, for Good Boys, the book I'm doing with Portage Maine right now, for the first time ever, I had a complete. Uh, like beat sheet of all the important points of the plot sort of approved by a publisher before I started doing principal illustration on a project. So for me, it almost feels, it's a very different feel. Going to work on this book now feels like I'm fulfilling a plan rather than making up something new on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found my mind wandering onto new projects because the hard work of like what the idea is, what the emotional center of the story is, what are the you know big turns, we already did that. And normally I'm a bit of a pantser. I'll make that stuff up or I'll change my mind along the way, but I, I kind of can't do that. So I've got this weird, I'm in a new season of creative uh, endeavors, but it feels very new to me as far as how I have to approach it mentally. 
Hmm. And you've done so many books and so many projects by this point in your career, and you're still learning things about your process. The two of you are beginning a strange journey, a journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. I don't know about you guys, but I do have a lot of people who come to my booths and tables at cons or when I'm at a panel, and they're always asking me how they finish the one book and then how they shop it around and then what happens if it doesn't get published. And my answer is always, well, you should be working on like two to five other things and filling up your trunk so that you always have something um, that you, if someone is, comes to you and they have a very specific thing they want, you might have that in your trunk or in your back pocket sort of thing. Um, and a lot of people get hung up on the, I want to finish the one book and make the one book so perfect. And right. it's like, well, you should just finish it and move on. Now, would you say, though, that if you're a person who is listening to this and you have that one book and you're really into finishing it and you have a day job, that mm -hmm. that's just fine. Just focus on the two. You have already mm -hmm. your day is full of things you have to do and responsibilities and you have one book you're trying to get right. Yeah. Can we give those people permission that that's okay? Oh, certainly. Um, but it gets to the point where if you've been working on the book for 25 years. Right. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> it's maybe time to do something else because that you can still keep that book. Mm -hmm. um, certainly the first book that I ever wrote and finished, it's not published. It isn't, it isn't ready to be published in any way, shape, or form. But I'd like to revisit it one day and completely rewrite it knowing what I know now. Right. But it was important to me as a writer to just finish it and to learn that sensation of... I've seen a project to the end. I have tried to shop it around. It didn't really work out. So I'm just going to close the door and do a different project. And then 10 years later, I can look back on that project and say, it had, it had its you know, good moments, but I can see why it didn't work. Right. Well, and and I can, if I reflect, actually it just made me think when I was sort of first starting out as a writer, man, what grade would that have been? That would have been grade eight or nine. I won a writing contest. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, aha, I'm a writing genius, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this short story. I won a bunch of money. I got to like go up on a stage and read it to a whole bunch of people and all oh, that was so great. And so of course, what do you do? You're, you're, well, in this case, my mom was like, well, we have to send this out. Like clearly you're a literary genius. Let's send this to all these different magazines and all these different publications. And 25 rejections letter, letters later, right? I was like, no, I'm just a kid who showed promise and that's why they, right. I was better than a bunch of other kids writing, right? So a little bit of accolade you cannot let you, convince you means quality. It just no. means that you finished something. Yeah, right? or you know, well you've got a good start, now yeah. do something else. Now work on another short story yeah. and another and another and another. And then- I think a lot of people are sitting around with half-conceived ideas or half-finished ideas waiting for a magical publisher or client to come out of nowhere and pay them to finish it. Right. Like a lot of people don't finish that book or project. They're waiting to get hired to do that book or project. Yeah, they think uh, like a talent discovery committee will show up at their exactly. door. Right. Yeah. Publisher's um, clearinghouse. Right. It's going to knock <laughs> and say, oh, it turns out, you know, I heard that you're exceptionally talented and we'd just like to give you a book deal. We're going to give mm -hmm. you a chance to yeah, let's finish give a you book. A chance. Yeah. That, those people don't exist. That's not real. That's one of the things I wish I could tell my younger self. Like, don't, don't worry about publishers and clients like that. Just do your own thing and they'll find you after. Yeah. Um, one thing I wish I had done better 
for sure. And it, it's something that it still haunts me because my operations manager tells me that I'm terrible at it. It's that I don't have a proper good website with like a good portfolio and a list of my publications. <laughs> you should see Dan, my the producer, producer is nodding. like shaking. <laughs> no, not, no, no uh, slight against you, Greg, because your work is excellent. But I, I noticed this about you years ago when I first, <laughs> before we actually met in person, I first became aware of your work. I'm like, oh, I should go check out what he's done. And then I could not find some, a somewhat defunct blog is all I could find of yeah, your work. So, so I'm elusive. That's how I'd like to think of myself. No, no, no. It's just poor planning on my part. I didn't put the energy and effort required to have a strong foundational place to be a, uh, what would I even call it? Like a message board, like, like a community message board. If, if, if your website is only that, like here's a bunch of stuff I'm doing once in a while, you should definitely have that. I don't have that. Don't follow my example. Um, however, however, I would like to interject and say that the domain has been purchased and it is just waiting for a website to be built by Claire C. Marshall, who is on standby, <laughs> yeah. um, who, you know, we are going to be working on that in the next couple of so weeks. So this year, so against, <laughs> um, against type there, one of the things that did start working for me as soon as I had books with ISBNs that had some uh, general distribution then Google now provides you with a list of those books and reviews of those books and pictures of those books and it feels like you're a real person on the internet even though you're not. It's like I've lost my passport, right, for the internet. And so like there's evidence that I exist there but I have no It's more like you were no fleeing home to return to. some kind of um just some kind of bad situation in your suitcase, which was packed full of your papers, has just exploded, and it's they're just floating around, around the internet. The internet. <laughs> um, now, Justin also is semi-websiteless, mm -hmm. but his DeviantArt profile is so monolithic that it doubles as a strong website. I came up, yeah, through like kind of the artistic communities on the internet, and so... The way I, I find other artists and look at other, other artists are, are through those communities like ArtStation and Behance and, and DeviantArt and Facebook pages. So if I ever end up on an artist's website, it's by mistake and I don't want to be there. Right. I want, because it's always outdated artwork and usually like they haven't touched in a while. Like it's, yeah, I, for what, what I use the internet for. Um, I don't really like artist websites too much. But. Well, I, I saw an interesting thread today on Twitter of art directors and publishers talking about people not having up-to-date websites. Uh, and it was just a list of reasons why that aren't related to your fans. And it was an interesting um, perspective. It was from the publisher's perspective saying, like, you need a website not for your fans, yeah. but for the people who want to hire you. And maybe there's only 15 of them in your life who are going to see it and find it, but they mm -hmm. will change your life forever if they can find it. Mm -hmm. Old people. Yeah. Yes. Oh, goodness, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I just want to comment on this because it's reminding me of a, a conversation we had in when I took my students to Chicago in May. Uh, we visited Critical Mass, which is a digital advertising agency, and they talked about how you know, these days people are, are more inclined to push people to their Facebook page or to their Twitter account because that's where people already are. So it's easier for them to reach 
on audience there. Plus with the whole, you know, social media boosting posts and you're experimenting with that on Instagram. Uh, they are really useful tools. So I asked the person there, I said, is it, does this mean websites are going to be gone? Is this something that we're not going to need anymore because of social media platforms? And he said, no, because, you know, you might like think about McDonald's. McDonald's has a website, mcdonalds.com. They probably don't get a lot of traffic there from people like wanting to know what's a, what, what's in a Big Mac or something like that. But if you go to mcdonalds.com and there's no website there, you're going to wonder why. And it just seems like something you can't. It's, it's silly because you don't need a website, but you need a website. You need to have something for people to see, oh, you're legit. You're a real thing. Sometimes a Facebook page doesn't quite do that. And that's very common for people who are just starting out. Um, in my experience, just working with artists who are just starting to sell their own stuff. They don't bother with the website either. They just do the Facebook page and that's enough for them. But you have to go there some at some point. A lot mm -hmm. of those things are temporary though. Like Facebook is kind of on a decline. Like Tumblr is almost non-existent anymore. DeviantArt is, is definitely declining. Art stations on the way up. Like, yeah, you might have like a good good following on DeviantArt, but like that's that's temporary. That's not going to last forever. Yeah. No. The yeah, people are going to move over to something else. Yeah. And as an editor who has hired artists, and as someone, uh, I'm also on a committee for a comics uh, festival, and we have people applying. If they apply with an Instagram, it's an instant no, mm -hmm. because it doesn't show me in any way that you're serious about attending a festival to like build your brand, build your career, engage in a community. And um, like a website, like you guys have been saying, it's, you know, you don't need it, but you do. It is an investment and it does show that you are looking to have a hub. Because like for my own website, my website does link to my social media uh, and my website doesn't get as much traffic as my social media, but you can find absolutely everything about me on the website. You can't really fit absolutely everything that I do in my profile on Twitter unless I am pepper spraying you constantly with tweets and then no one's following me because I'm a jerk. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, website gives you an opportunity That's to be like, no one follows me. like here jerk, is all of the jerk, books jerk. that I've done and how you can buy them. Here's right. a contact form so that you can actually get in touch with me in a non-obtrusive way without me giving you my phone number or email. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. So Justin and I both uh, published recently two new art books. And one of the things that I have in the back of mine is a list of all of that information mm -hmm. that you just said, which uh, my uh, long-term sort of semi-strategy was once we organize it in one place, then we can use it for the website built. So now we have all that data and those covers and all of those pull quotes and all that stuff that we should be. And all those well articles. Situated. And who wrote them? Oh, I who guess, knows? Was it Gregory or was so, it Sam? Okay, so the interest of <laughs> we'll full disclosure, know. dear <laughs> listeners, there is, uh, we were putting together my art book and we were finding a whole bunch of interviews and things I'd done in the past for different media outlets or whatnot. And there was a section where uh, I'm reading through it and I legitimately could not tell that I hadn't, that that was not my answer. Sam Ghost wrote that section so that the <laughs> content would be filled so we'd know how much would fit. And it was, it passed all of the edits. So it is in the book. Oh, there's, it's three sections. There's a, some sections <laughs> where you, the reader, can decide, did I write it or did Sam write it? Dun, dun, dun. Um, but let's talk about the editorial process in that regard then. Because mm -hmm. you just put together two books for us. How did that differ from working with other clients of yours? Um, I would say in your case, I built that book from nothing. Yes. Because you hadn't had an art book before and you kind of 
had an idea of what you wanted and I organized it in a very magazine um, style. And like you said, everything that's in there is that, that could, it's basically a website in a book. Right. It's Gregory a just handed Sam a folder filled with hundreds and hundreds of print ready images and links to articles. And, and he was said, like, Make a do book. it. But, uh, <laughs> but also like some of the articles, um, well, it worked, didn't it? <laughs> they, they weren't long enough or reflective of like the sections that I wanted. So I would go th- to the physical tangible books and I would type, retype out the introductions that you had written in an imagination manifesto or things like that. So it was very, it's very different from Justin's art books. This is the third one that he did that just came out, uh, just premiered at Fan Expo Canada. Uh, So you already had an established style of how you did them and um, you built yours you you basically are he just did most of the work yeah, the and i just kind existed, of right? yeah i just went through the text edited it um made suggestions on some moving around some images or some repeats or that kind of thing like you were very you were very easy because you already had a system in place so in editing language you did more of a copy edit on his and more of a substantive edit on mine right yeah okay well on yours it was basically from the ground up like I just kind of was like, we'll put these sections in right. and these articles will come in. And dear listener, why did Sam do it and not me? Because I was hard at work doing two shifts a day on uh, the Baby Metal Graph novel. Why did I have to do it at all? Because Justin was peer pressuring me for I was, months. Yeah. No, for years, I would okay, say. Okay, it's officially years now. Yeah. Um, and his wisdom, which I think is um, bearing fruit here, is that I had a body of work. It already existed. There are people who don't see all of it, who don't want to buy prints or keep buying prints because they're already a fan and they want to know more about your process, more about a wider body of your work for roughly the same cost as a limited edition print they can buy an art book. Why would you prevent people from having And it all comes out of a very common question that you would get from people coming up to your booth. Just how do you do this? And now you, instead of going into a long winded, well, I started in eighth grade, you can literally (laughs) just turn to this object and hand it to them and say, well, here's my art book that explains how. Right. Especially to, um, we have customers that have been coming to our tables for like some, in some cases, eight to 10 years. Like as long as we've been doing conventions, we love you. PS. Yeah, very much so. Um, and yeah, there's, there's just a physical cap on how much artwork they can buy from you. So as soon as I started coming out with art books, um, I found half my sales were people who didn't even need to look through it. Just the fact that I had everything kind of collected into a book, it's just like, okay, well, I'm getting that. I want to, I want that. I, I've been invested in you for so long, Yeah. right? I'm it was done. A, my walls are already covered, mm-hmm. but I still want to vote towards your success. It becomes, becomes that a little bit which is a very interesting thing in the direct sales market that you don't, f- you don't feel at all in the mass distribution. It's also the easiest book you'll ever make. I, well, well, it Sam was for can. me. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> because all the work is done. It's just kind of laying it out and writing, yeah, writing a couple articles and stuff. But, you know, you're not really creating new pages. You're just finding those pages from existing work. Right. And so I can say for many of you who are probably feeling it right now, it's like, oh... I don't know if I really want to show that old work. I'm so far beyond it now. Or, "Mm, you know, I'd rather make new work or create new narratives than go back to my old existing work. I can speak from experience now that, no, you should make that little time capsule. Not just, you know, from a financial point of view, but the effort of putting it together, however tertiarily my involvement seems to be to you from this 
perspective of the podcast, going through it again after and asking myself, is this, does this really represent who I am as an artist? And if not, why not? Is a really, it's really great self-reflection. I think. What do you think? I'm just nodding. Um, You can't nod in a podcast. No, you always have to be reevaluating. Exactly. Like from where you came. Stop that. Stop it. Just stop. I'm nodding at her. He's doing something with his head and I don't like it. Oh God. Um, Yeah. Because if you aren't, if you aren't looking back, you can't really necessarily look for, like, do not become obsessed with looking back and, you know, being like, oh no, I made so many mistakes. Now, how can I be an artist? How can I, um, how can I even see the forest for the trees? Um, but it also just gives you like a, like what was important to me then? Mm-hmm. Is that important to me now? What is important to me now? Because then that will inform any kind of and projects that you have. It's interesting. Upon reflection, there's a few things that aren't in that book mm-hmm. that I wish had been in that book. But it took me a little while to think about it and look through it and realize, oh, there's there's some ingredients missing. So I started thinking about what the second book would be already. But we'll see how that goes. Oh, dun, no, dun, I dun. failed. No, you succeeded. <laughs> you succeeded because if the purpose is to create that, that look back and see like where is the, where are you coming from and where do you want to go, mm-hmm. right? We revise our own histories, right? When we talk to people, we tell only the version of ourselves that makes our future self possible. It's usually how people talk about themselves in mm-hmm. this industry. And so when I look back at it and I see like there's some pieces missing that if I put it in there, it will make what I hope for myself possible. It's sort of, mm-hmm. no, you didn't fail. I failed. I failed you, Sam. One thing actually uh, that came out of working on your art book for me uh, that has always kind of been something you've struggled with and you've talked about struggling with is brand unity. Oh God, I have And none. when we, and I look at that book, I'm like, well, this is his brand. It's all unified in one place and it's, it's possible to visualize it now. Yeah, so dear listener, I run into the problem of wanting to work on lots of different stuff from lots of different genres all the time, which is great from a creative internal mechanism, but difficult from a sales perspective mm-hmm. if you're a publisher, right? Who are you as an author? How can we sell you as an author? This becomes a, uh, a question for the ages. We can't all be chasing artwork. He shook his head. Stop shaking your hands <laughs> on the podcast. That's all of us have made this critical error. We've forgotten how to podcast. We've it's been too long. Dr. Ryan, what is it? What happened? I don't know. I can't remember. All I know is it was horrible. So moving forward in the podcast, mm-hmm. what do you guys want to do? I have a few thoughts. Zanier guess. Zanier guess. I'll and make a note. Um, I've recently discovered the Hot Ones YouTube channel where they oh, eat. Oh no! Hot. I watched some of those after you told me about yeah. it. So it's it's ten chicken wings and ten degrees of hot sauce, starting from like Frank's Red Hot to going to like the California Reaper at the end, and they just ask questions and eat hot food, and lots of celebrities and and musicians and stuff go on, and some people are completely unfazed. Like Michael Sarah did not like blink all the way through he just gobbled up his chicken wings and answered his questions you tell me del toro too right he was like unfazed. I, I haven't seen that one but someone told me about that yeah uh neil degrassi tyson was also he started with the hot one and made his way down to the he used science yeah because they're all easy after the hottest <laughs> one yeah that makes sense um but yeah i i don't know how well it'll work for a podcast but we should get some spicy food 
and know, ask some really tough questions. No, I, I, let's let's go backwards and say maybe oh, Justin fine. wants like fun segments. Fun <laughs> segments on the podcast. We can do some fun segments. One of the things that we did, uh, we have a situation board in the studio now, thanks to uh, Sam's constant urgings to keep us organized. And as we were taking off things for the last few months, I had this stack of um, little recipe cards that are done, like all the tasks that we accomplished. And I realized that now we have this little bowl full here, we'll tap on it. This little bowl full of uh, things we did. And I feel like one of the things we can do in the podcast is visit this bowl and talk about stuff we learned from these tasks we accomplished. Because the goal of the podcast was intended to be stuff we wish we had known when we started. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think even though we're accomplishing tasks and people think, hey, they seem to have it all figured out, this bowl is full of things <laughs> and, and where we had to figure it out as we went along, and I think that that would be worth sharing as far as a regular segment. What else can we do in the podcast? I'm chicken wings in my thing. I don't <laughs> wow. This was the only idea <laughs> the only that birthday boy Justin brought to the table today. Um, we have some... Can we talk about where we're going today? Dear listener, we have been uh, working and endeavoring to produce um, a proof of concept for an animated version of Cassie and Tonk. Which is what we've been working on a lot the last two months while we were not on the podcast. We did a lot of meetings with the animation team, a lot of meetings with the sound designers, a lot of meetings with a lot of meetings. And it's gone through a lot of iterations from original modeling that kind of got tossed back to back to scratch and then going and just like looking at walking cycles. Oh, we had a lot of false starts. Yeah. Yeah. And but now it's like we saw last week, kind of the footage where it's at, and it was just like, whoa. Yeah, it was feeling really good. Now, and I'm, I don't know if we any longer have the capacity to be objective because we are now just so excited about it. Yeah. So I've been trying to talk myself down and like make a list of critical sort of potential errors that I see, like be super hypercritical with it before the meeting tonight. Um, so after my kids go to bed, we set a meeting for after kids bedtime. That's what we told the, uh, animation studio. Uh, we are going to pull Justin away from his birthday party to go and see the synced sound and music and voiceover and animation reel all together for test footage of Cassie and Tonk, the animated series question mark. Yeah. It's kind of like, what are you hoping to accomplish in your deep, beautiful future? with this endeavor and why didn't we give it to a producer to do for us justin uh we didn't want to give it to somebody else because as soon as somebody else has it then we kind of get cut out of the creative conversation and usually when that happens what ends up on screen is very very different from what it started as and we are in the position where we didn't really have to do that we could kind of see it through ourselves and I think that was kind of a rare opportunity, and it'd be silly not to take it. So there you have it. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for updates on the Cassian Tonk animation. So before you run away and tell people, oh, they're making it into a show, no, that's not how this works. First, you make a proof of concept that then you can show to networks and to other producers. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. Finish a book, and then people care yeah. about you making other books. Yeah. But mm-hmm. until you finish that first thing... 
So you just all talk. We were in a position where shopping the book around to people, they were like, hey, yeah, this would make a great show or a great movie or a great something. And we agreed, but we didn't want their version of it. We wanted our version of it. And now we can show our version of it and see if that has any merit. And if it doesn't, we have a very expensive uh, commercial <laughs> for our next book. It was expensive, but it was also, um, it all came from the book itself. So the book has paid for everything we've been developing for this book's animation. So we really haven't been pulling away from other projects to to try right. this out. So if we're gonna be full disclosure about it, um, we were really surprised with the success and the sellout of Cassie and Tonk. We weren't surprised that people liked it because we liked it, but we were surprised at the rate in which people bought in and came back for more and showed the book to other people and really connected with the emotional center of the story to the point where we were like, wow, we have an independent book that made money. What should we do with that money? So rather than just divide it up and, you know, put on wings on our houses, we decided to uh, instead put that money back into what else the project might be. Mm -hmm. Let it sort of become itself if we're getting meta about it. So that's what we did. Yeah. And we'll let you know how it turns out. Probably should have just taken the money. <laughs> it's too late now. Welcome to the new Super Pulp Science, where we are ultra capitalist. Season two. Yeah. <laughs> Season two. It's all where the money two... always wins. So, <laughs> money always wins. Do we make in the graphic design? Does the S become a dollar sign, or does the two become a backwards dollar sign? Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, ladies and gentlemen, if you have returned to Super Pulp Science, hoping it would be like the first season. You have our heartfelt apologies. <laughs> um, but this has been Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We look forward to many more episodes this season, and we thank you very much for listening. We hope you'll join the fight and make comics. <laughs> <laughs>